Amen. It's been a good morning already, right? It is good when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's an awesome thing. Uh, We're going to continue in the spirit of prayer this morning uh, by looking at one of, if not the most powerful prayers recorded in the Bible. So grab your Bibles, open them to John chapter 17. We have spent time praying already this morning, and now I want us to look at and read a prayer of Jesus that should inform how we pray and what we pray going forward. And as you find your way to John 17, uh, let me ask you uh, this question. I'd love for you to consider this scenario in your in your head. It's a, it's a kind of sobering. It's a little bit depressing. So sorry to be a downer this morning, but uh, just imagine this with me. You are on your deathbed. Your friends and your family are are gathered around you and you realize that this is an opportunity for you to give final words. What are you saying to those who are gathered at your side? What words of wisdom would you want to share? What would you want recorded, written down as your last words? Now, some in this room have considered this exact scenario, either for themselves or someone close to them due to disease, sickness, or some other situation in life that has made you come face to face with mortality and the fact that you will face death. Others of us have considered this very little, either because death seems so far away or it's too depressing to kind of think about, and so we just avoid it. But if we would allow ourselves to all go to that frame of mind for a moment, and we would consider, man, what would I want to be my last words? It would start to reveal what kind of life you would actually want to live, what you would want to be known for, what your hopes and your desires are for your friends and family, that as you pass, they would remember and carry with them. The final words of a dying man or woman are some of their most memorable. I was reading some famous last words this week, and I was fascinated by what they portray. I just grabbed a couple for you. Emily Dickinson, her, her final words were, I must go in, the fog is rising. Thomas Edison, famous inventor, last words recorded are, it is very beautiful over there. Bob Marley Money can't buy life. Love this one. Oscar Wilde says, either that wallpaper goes or I do. (laughs) Winston Churchill, I'm bored with it all. And then I love this one too by playwright Wilson Meisner. Why should I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. He said that as a priest walked in and said, I'm sure you want to talk to me. Last words are are taken very seriously, and here this morning, we're going to read some of the last words of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. John chapter 17 records Jesus' prayer directly after the Last Supper, where he had taken time to teach his disciples. He knew what he was about to face, but he also knew what his disciples were about to face with Fear and anxiety and persecution. And so he 
took the last supper with them to encourage them, exhort them, and give them wisdom. And then once he's done, he stops and he prays. So let's read together John chapter 17 in its entirety, Jesus' high priestly prayer. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. This is an awesome prayer. There's so much here. There's so much that I'd love to sit down and unpack, but this morning what I want us to do is rather take a 31,000 foot flyover 
of this chapter, and I want us to pull out four words that can help aid us in how and what we pray. The first word is glorify. The theme of glory is used eight times throughout this prayer. It's, it's all over. And if you look back at verse four and five, Jesus prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus here is declaring to his Father that he did exactly what he was sent to earth to do. He's accomplished the work. And while practically the work of Jesus Christ looked like teaching and preaching to the crowds and to his disciples and miracles the overall goal of every single thing that Jesus did in his life on earth was to bring glory to the Father. He never consumed the credit for the things that he did, but rather constantly pointed people back to the love of the Father to bring him glory. And ultimately here in just a few moments, Jesus is going to drink the full cup of God's wrath by dying on the cross for our sins, his ultimate mission on earth. And yet even then he's doing it to the glory of God. The goal of Jesus' life on earth was not to build his own reputation but that of God Almighty. Jesus, son of Joseph, was not the most amazing man who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus, the son of God, was the most amazing man who ever walked the face of the earth. Fully man and fully God with the sole purpose of putting the glory back on the Father. Friends, our first and foremost prayer should be God, be glorified through my life. Be glorified through the work that you have given me to do, through my job, my relationships, my actions. If the purpose of our prayers and the things we desire in our life is so that we would receive glory, then we are missing out on the mission of every follower of Christ, which is to bring God glory. And sometimes our hope when it comes to prayer is that we'll be able to use prayer like a, a secret sauce that we can pour over the things that we do to somehow spiritualize them and hope that that will make them glorify God. Like if I just pray before I eat this Taco Bell at 1 a.m., I can eat to the glory of God. Maybe you mumble a prayer on your way into work. God, use me today. Help me have a great day at work. And then you sit at your desk and complain about your coworkers and your bosses or overwhelmed by your workload or just hope and pray that the clock goes faster than it normally does so that you can get out of there forgetting entirely the fact that you prayed for God to use you at your job. And you can apply that to many different situations in places that you would come, including church. Sometimes we view prayer as a transition in our service. You know that uh, about 70 minutes into the service, if I were to say, let's pray, it's time to close your Bibles and start thinking about lunch. 
Or maybe in a meeting or a gathering of people, we view prayer as, well, let's just pray really quick so that we can get to the work that we have to do. We should approach everything we do under the roof in God's house as an almighty calling that God has invited us into and prayer is actually the engine, as we like to say, that allows us to accomplish the things he's called us to do. Without prayer, we are nothing. We cannot glorify God until we call on his name in desperation. So pausing and asking before we act, God, help me glorify you in these actions. What do you have for me today, Lord? What do you desire from your child? The desire to glorify God should be a staple request in our prayer lives. The second word is sanctify. Back to the text, verse 17, says, sanctify them in the truth Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That word sanctify, that word consecrate, means to set apart, to declare as holy. We use the word sanctification often to describe a process that believers go through throughout their lives. There is a one-time event called salvation where you call on the name of Jesus, you repent of your sins, and you declare him as Lord of your life, and then that kickstarts a lifelong event of sanctification, of dying to that old self, of picking up your cross, putting away the worldly things that are godless and picking up the things that God has called you to holiness and godliness in your life. We're setting ourselves apart by removing sin from our lives and we will never do it perfectly. We will never know true, complete sanctification on this side of heaven. But we will have to daily fight against the things of the world. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here's Jesus praying for us, not that we would be taken out of the world, but that we would be sanctified in truth. Because when we would be sanctified in truth, it allows us to fight against the things of the world with power. It's impossible to fight against something if you don't know what's actually true. And Jesus declares where the truth comes from. He prays, God, your word is truth. And in a few hours from now, in chapter 18, you're gonna see Jesus standing before Pilate, proclaiming that he came to the world to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate asks a very tongue-in-cheek question, what is truth? If that is not the headline of our world today, everyone asking, what is truth? Truth is what I want it to be. Family of God, his word is truth. Our prayers to be sanctified must be rooted in the truth of God's word. 
That is how we become more like Jesus. D.L. Moody famously wrote in the front page of his Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. We have to know and believe what is true. That word true is also used a lot by uh, carpenters, people in building materials. Another word would be square making sure that everything is aligned and, and where it needs to be. Every once in a while, I like to undertake a DIY project just to prove to myself that I can actually work with my hands. And so uh, just recently, uh, a friend in small group had built a little breakfast nook in their home, and I decided that was a great idea to undertake. And so, you know, asking, I'm not the handiest guy in the world. I can get a few things done. And so I started to ask for, you know, tips from him and watching YouTube videos. And, and he said to me, he's like, it took me about three days. I'm two weeks in and uh, we're getting close to done. We're getting close to done here. But what's, what's astounding to me is um, in the beginning, you know, everything is about you got to make it true. Everything needs to be square. Otherwise, you're going to have problems later on. And uh, again, I, I am a DIYer through and through. I have three young kids at home and a garage full of tools that I don't really know how to use. And so here I am, I'm getting to these little moments and I'm saying, that's ah, close enough, close enough. And then build more on, build more on. And if you ever come over for dinner uh, in February when this thing's done um, and you look at it, please do not look too closely. <laughs> Because you will see parts where things don't perfectly line up and it's not completely square. It's not true. Because in the beginning, I decided to take little shortcuts and not worry about whether or not it was true and just continue to build off of that. I hope you see the illustration I'm trying to make. If we don't have a basis of truth in our life, we will get to later on situations that we ask, what am I supposed to do here? And we start to pray and ask God to move and we wonder where things got so out of whack. And he says, go back. My word is is truth. Start living your life according to this. Pray according to the word of God and you will see things come to develop how they're supposed to be. The power to live out the Christian life in a dark, sinful world is not shielding yourself from it, but it's by immersing yourself in the truth of God's word and then you will be able to stand against it. Let us pray that God's word would be hidden in our hearts so that we would not sin against him. Lord, sanctify us. The third word is testify. In verse 20, Jesus prays for you and for me. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Through the disciples' word or their testimony. And the word testify is maybe a, a word that brings up the mindset of a courtroom, right? You call in a witness to be on the stand to testify about whether something is or is not true. But it can also be a churchy word for some. I grew up in church and I can remember attending our Sunday night services. And this was on top of Sunday school in the morning, Sunday morning service, Tuesday night flock meetings, Wednesday night youth group, and Saturday you should just come clean the church for free. We went to church a lot. It was great. But Sunday night service was different because 
our pastor got up and he didn't preach a sermon. He would walk around the sanctuary with a microphone and he would ask, does anybody want to testify? Does anybody have a testimony that they want to give tonight? And people would take the microphone and they would tell about how God was working in their lives. They would declare to one another how God had moved in their lives, how he had answered prayers, how he had healed people, how he had brought about certain situations to a place that they couldn't even believe because God was so good. They were giving testimony. And just this last Sunday in the afternoon, out in our field, 20 people stood on a stage and testified to the work of grace in their life, that God brought them from death to life. One of the greatest ways we can glorify God is by testifying to the work he's done in our lives. But oftentimes we think testifying, like, oh man, like to actually put it out there, that's kind of for the radical Christians. That's for the guy in the street corner with the megaphone who's going to declare and testify for the Lord. Or maybe we just don't have the right gifts or the personality to bring about opportunities to testify. Recently, a few friends of mine um, we were having a discussion about the best fast food burger. And it got, it got uh, heated at points. <laughs> Mostly because they were utterly wrong and they thought Culver's was better than In-N-Out, but that's not the point. Still praying for the repentance and conversion. The point was, we were both able to express our affection and loyalty towards a fast food burger with ease. We were able to give points of why it mattered so greatly to us, even if we didn't think that they believed in us. And it was easy for me to testify to the impact that fast food burgers have had on my life and my bathroom scale could do the exact same thing. But friends, I get so convicted at how hard it seems to be able to express my love and affection towards Jesus Christ with someone who may not believe the same thing. I could see, it just seems so much harder to talk about. Why is that? One, I think it's easy for me to look at the world and, and believe this, this lie that the world is so polarized that the minute I bring up Jesus Christ, they're gonna write me off as some crazy Christian guy. I'll lose some social status, I might lose relationships with people, like I'll just be labeled the nutcase who only ever talks about Jesus. And then sometimes I'll even, I'll even work it and I'll, I'll twist it so bad in my mind that, well, if, if, I, if I don't do it at the exact right time, they're gonna be turned off to the gospel and I'm gonna keep that person from being saved. They're not ripe yet. They're not ready to hear my testimony and so I don't wanna ruin their chances Where would we be if the disciples had had that kind of mentality? Well, I don't know. It's pretty hard out there right now. People aren't really liking what we're talking about. I, I know we think it's true. We all feel really good in the room together. But the minute we go out there, people start telling us to stop talking. So maybe we'll just wait. We'll preach some softer messages, something that kind of makes them feel good. And then when their life falls apart and they're ready, they, they come to us and they ask us, who's this Jesus? Then we can share with them in the safety of our church. 
Jesus is here. He's praying those who believe in me through their word, their testimony. If we really believe that God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for us as a substitute for our sins, and he was powerful enough to defeat the sin and the grave and the death that was coming for all of us, and he was worthy enough to ascend to heaven, now he reigns forevermore, then we should be pretty excited to tell some people about it. Much more than a burger. And listen, we can sit around, we can drink our single origin coffee and read another book and debate about God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility, or we could just start telling people about Jesus. Our prayer should be begging God for opportunities to testify to the work of God in our lives so that others may believe and be saved. And then in the last part of his prayer, Jesus, his desire is simple. It's that God's people would unify. Verse 21 He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. As we saw in Psalm 133, it is good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. God's heart has always been for unity. The Trinity, the Godhead, is not an example of God separating himself. It is an example of unity. And his desire for unity is for both between him and his creation and his creation one to another. And he craved that unity with us so much that he gave his son for us so that we could start to experience a relationship with him and now in turn his desire is that we would take that same love which he showed us and we would have it for one another so that the world would see the love of the Father. Earlier in John 13, 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so here's Jesus praying to his father that this would be true of of his disciples then and all future disciples. So I got to ask the question, how are we doing, church? My hope is that Gospel City would be known not as a church with a large building, with a lot of people who come, with great worship or great preachers, great programs throughout the week. I don't even pray that the Lord would, that we would be known as like the church that reaches the city. My prayer is that our church would be known for its unity. That people would meet the members, the family of Gospel City Church and be amazed at how unified they are. Not under the name of a church, but under the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel.
I pray that we would not parse ourselves down to factions and groups based on social or personal preferences. That no matter your age, your race, your gender, whether you like hymns or modern worship, whether you homeschool or public school, whether you are crunchy, scrunchy, or have no idea what that means, that you would find a place in the family of God here and it would be based solely on your belief in Jesus Christ. Because we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive together in Christ Jesus so that we would experience the closeness and the oneness that Jesus felt to his Father. This prayer is an amazing example of the relationship that Jesus Christ had with his Father. And it is available to you in your prayer life. We should be praying that God would unify us to himself, but then also with each other. Because the world is watching. The prayer of Jesus is not that we would isolate ourselves from the world, but that we would remain in it. In verse 23, he prays, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. the motivation for all these words that Jesus has prayed, the single greatest reason he's about to close this prayer and step into his death is love. God loves us, church. His desires for us to be unified and sanctified, to give testimony and to glorify him is because he loves us and he has a plan and a purpose for our life that is outside of ourselves. And so we pray and we ask, God be glorified in my life. Sanctify me in your truth. Give me opportunity to testify and unify me to the family of God. So church, as we step into another ministry year, as your rhythms start to kick back in, new initiatives start, there's, there's new things that will be happening here, but as we gather each weekend, would these words of Jesus' prayer ring in our ears and give us fuel for our own prayer life because prayer is the engine, but only if we pray what God wants for us. Because without that, we will do nothing for the kingdom of God. We will miss out on the mission that he has called us to. We need him. So as we close, I'd like us to spend our remaining time in prayer. So grab a few people, maybe a different group than you've prayed with already this morning. Find some new people to be unified with. And spend some time praying over these words that we've just pulled out of John 17. We'll have some prompts on the screen. Lord, help me to glorify you this week in job, relationships, etc. So that you fill in the blank. Lord, sanctify me in this specific area of my life. Sin that I need to eradicate and grow closer to you. Lord, give me an opportunity to testify to this person, in this situation. And finally, Lord, unify 
the family of Gospel City Church so that Let me pray and we'll spend these next few moments in prayer together. Father God, I pray that you are glorified today. Not because of my words, but because of yours. Thank you for the gift of truth that we find in our Bibles. Thank you for the power of prayer. Lord, we have felt your presence here this morning. We know that you are praying on our behalf even now that we would be found in you and that the glory that you have, Lord, we would see and be a part of to know that all we do, every breath we take is a gift. And every moment, God, we can have an opportunity to worship you with our actions and our thoughts. And so, Lord, we pray now that you'd help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.